Rousseau. Suzuki repart. Est-ce qu'il a été patient? Nick Suzuki. 702 on a Wednesday. Happy Wednesday, everybody. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet 650. Halford and Bruff of the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. Uh, we are in hour two of the program. Hour two is brought to you by North Star Metal Recycling. Vancouver's premier metal recycler pays the highest prices on scrap metal. North Star Metal Recycling, they recycle, you get paid. Visit them at 1170 Powell Street in Vancouver. To the phone lines we go. No rest for the Canucks. No rest for the Habs either tonight. Both teams in the second of a back-to-back this evening. 4.30 local time. The puck drop from Montreal. Joining us now, Sportsnet's very own Eric Engels here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Morning, Eric. How are you? I'm doing good, guys. How are you? We're good as well. Both of our respective squadrons coming off victories last night. The Habs in a shootout over the Red Wings. That snaps a three-game losing streak for the Habs. It was a pretty eventful game. Jake Allen had 41 saves. Uh, Uri Slavkovsky got the boot for boarding Matt Luff. And, of course, the Habs got a win. Did I miss anything there in trying to run that one down, or did I manage to capture everything that happened last night? Hey, Mike Hoffman had two goals. Yes, that's right. That, that also that happened. Something. How was the game Jake overall? Jake Allen was unreal last night. He, he played an unbelievable game, and uh, the Canadians had to kill off seven penalties in the game, including uh, the major to Slavkovsky, which was interrupted by a an inadvisable interference penalty by the uh, by the Detroit Red Wings in the middle of that whole thing. And I don't know, the Canadians managed a, a way to pull it off. It was a pretty gutsy win in Detroit. You know, it's funny. We just were speaking with David Amber, and we were kind of running through all the teams in Canada, and you know. At, Edmonton got a win last night. That was great. Calgary's definitely hit the skids. Ottawa, we know, because the Canucks beat them last night. That's six losses in a row. Toronto's got the goaltending problems. Then there's Montreal, and I was joking with David. I said, you know, as far as vibe checks go, certainly seems like there's a lot of good ones out of Montreal right now. They're NHL 500. It's a 6-6-1 six, six, and one record, but I almost feel like people are fine with that because the team is young and they're exciting and they're energetic and you can really see the potential starting to play itself out. Maybe it's a team for the future, but the present looks okay right now. I was joking a couple of days ago that I might have been the first person to mention that the Canadians were on a three-game losing streak in the city. Like, uh, right. it's it's unbelievable what the vibe has been around the team and how willingly and accepting um, Canadians fans are of the product being exciting, uh, but not necessarily generating wins. And um, you know, I, I think that speaks to the knowledge of the fan base and what they know will lead to higher draft picks and ability to sustain. Uh, success over a longer period of time, which is the goal of management here. It's been sold really well from management's perspective and the coaching staff. And when you have a guy like Martin St. Louis at the helm, who even after losses is is quite cordial at the, the, the you know at the podium and giving good answers and and talking about the development of the young players and they're they're trusting the kids to play and letting them make their mistakes and live with them and and learn from them and. I think just that the Canadians fans have fully embraced what is going on here. And it's, it's, um, it's an interesting model up against the one where you just outright tank, right? Like I think, you know, after a little while people get so fed up with that and so disinterested and apathy is really the enemy for any sports team. And I think what's happening here is there will be some hard times. as The season moves along as the games style of games get tighter, but, you know, like like I said, like they lost three games in a row. They lost six four to Vegas on Saturday night to make it three games in a row. 
Um, they were competitive in all those games, and the, you know they were cheered on their way off the ice on Saturday night. And and I was serious about doing a podcast. I, I couldn't recall anybody on television or radio or anybody mentioning there was a three-game losing streak, and now they've busted out of it and are back up to like you said, NHL 500. So yeah, the, the vibe is good. Has that line of Suzuki, uh, Kirby Doc, and Cole Caulfield has has that line been together uh, throughout the season? And and safe to say, it's leading the way offensively. Yeah, it's been together for five games now, and they had twenty two points in four of them before going off the score sheet last night. So, pretty impressive run for those three guys. You know, they'd like to develop Doc up the middle as they move along, but have a lot of time to get that sorted out and there's nothing wrong with him gaining a lot more confidence playing with Suzuki and Caulfield who are on such a burner since the beginning of well I should say really since the start of the second half of last season Um, their point per game player isn't above that this year Uh, and and it's just that's the fun zone right there Um, you know the Canadians would like to get more depth scoring you know you look down their lineup you would have said okay like the defense is so young and the goaltending is between Jay Callen and Sam Montembo, you know, not terrible, but, you know, not necessarily upper echelon that that should secure their place in, in the lottery for the season. But you would have looked up front and said, okay, like, yeah, there's, you know, outside of Suzuki and Caulfield, there's not a lot of superstar talent here, but there's plenty of proven NHL depth scoring here that they should be able to get scoring on, you know, three or four lines. Uh, and that just hasn't been the case since the beginning of the season for whatever reason, guys. Some guys have been snake-bitten. Some guys just haven't been playing well. Um, you know, so to see Mike Hoffman come through with a couple of goals, uh, maybe that gets the ball rolling for a couple of the other guys who are in that internal competition. Because, look, you know, in order to make room for Joel Edmondson on the on the roster, they decided to waive Rem Pitlick, one of the guys who had a great you know, second half with Montreal last year with 26 points in 46 games, uh, and all of a sudden shot out with lesser opportunity because of that depth that I was just talking about this season, and and scored zero points in seven games with the fourth line. And you know, you just look at that situation and say, well, they could have easily sent one of the kids down for 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 free and not exposed anybody to waivers, but they didn't do that because they're going on merit and the kids deserve to be playing like Slavkovsky and, and the kids on defense and Gooley and Jackai and Harris and Kovacevic who came over from Winnipeg via waivers. And you know, I, I, I just think if you can get the secondary scoring a little bit going, um, that's gonna be pretty essential because the second part of the equation here, aside from developing the kids and the emphasis on that development, is proving up the value for players like Hoffman, Drouin, Dadanoff, uh, Monahan, so that, you know, when when the time comes they can get some assets for that that help their long term plan. Eric, you mentioned that the Habs did a really good job of selling the retool or the rebuild, however you want to describe it, to the fans. Um, can you expand that on that a little bit? Did it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know. We I, it gets it gets uh, it gets uh, debated once in a while here in Vancouver. Just the, once in a while, though. The, the Canucks don't rebuild, though. According to Jim Rutherford, they just build. So there's some verbiage here that we need to work on. But still, I'm curious. Let's say that the Habs built. They're builders. How did how did they sell that to the fan base? You know, there's it's one thing is what you say, the other is what you do. Um, you know, they didn't write a letter New York Rangers style when Jeff Gordon was the guy in New York, and then you know they told their fans, "Hey, like there's going to be some pain ahead, and this is why we're doing it, and 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 it's going to work." And um, it 
I think it did pretty well. And, and look at where the Rangers are at now. And it's been, you know, a little inconsistent so far this season, but I think we all look at the talent that's there and, and the work that was done. It's it's pretty impressive on Montreal's end of things. You know, they were so long competing for a playoff spot, um, but without being, a, you know, considered a contender that they were in that dangerous middle ground where you never end up having that kind of, success that you want in, in a market like Montreal. And I just think the actions are, are huge, you know, like from Jeff Molson hiring Jeff Gordon and Jeff Gordon hiring Ken Hughes and Ken Hughes and Jeff Gordon hiring Martin St. Louis to building out a development staff that not only includes two of the more progressive hockey minds and Scott Power and Adam Nicholas at the helm, um, but added to Rob Ravage and Francis Bouillard are, are, are people like Mary Philippe Poulet, um, you know, that's that's a big part of it. Uh, a lot of it emanates from Martin St. Louis and just the way he approaches things and his unconventional take on practice, uh, you know, and, and simulating game action versus the standard NHL practice and working on the development with each player. Like when you're a fan of a team and you know that wins are going to be hard to come by and you hear that your head coach is staying on the ice with the extras at every morning skate and working with them, um, you know, that's that's a good way of selling a long-term plan for your organization. You know what I mean? Like, so what you say and what you do are two different things. And, you know, I'm sure your parents said it the same way as mine, which is that your actions speak louder than your words. Um, although all of us are kind of paid to say a lot of words. Um, yeah. it's, uh, our words speak well, louder than our actions. That's, that's, that's what it comes down to. Like you're looking at your situation in Vancouver, uh, you know, Bruce Boudreaux has been a hot button discussion since yeah. the beginning of the season. And Jim Rutherford is making a lot of comments and, and thankfully doing it on our airways, but you know, like it's, it's an unsettling situation in Vancouver and, and a very peculiar one that I don't know I would compare to Montreal if only for the fact that they have young superstar talent at like every position. And for whatever reason, this thing is not on the rails right now. And, and it's a big win yesterday, but over an Ottawa team that's struggling, and we'll see what gets generated a second night in a row. If they can sustain that against Montreal team that had a pretty galvanizing win themselves last night, they didn't play their best. Their goaltender was phenomenal. And um, Sam Montabo behind Jake Allen has had an unbelievable start to the season, a, a, an unforeseeable start to the season, considering what he looked like last year. And so, yeah, I don't know how you sell it in Vancouver and where this all goes, but in Montreal, it really has been about the people they've put in place and the way they've treated their young talent that's in the lineup, which is to, um, you know, nurture them and, and, and accept that, you know, they need to play and they need to develop and they'll make the best decisions for their development. And that's every situation is unique guys. Like in Montreal development was the biggest fault of this team for such a long time. Uh, and, and now that that's being taken care of, it's easier to believe that, Hey, in two years from now with certain money coming off the cap and these young kids, the way they're coming along and other ones that are in the pipeline, this thing is going to look pretty healthy. And then for a long period of time, and I, I know, I don't know how Canadian, I, I'm pretty sure I know how Canadian fans feel about it. I know how I feel about it. I think it's going to work. How does the Carey Price situation affect uh, the job that management needs to do in Montreal in, in that he's probably not going to play again, though that's not definite. Um, now his contract is on LTI, but it does complicate things a little bit, does it not? Um, only if 
by some stroke of miracle, Carrie can play in the near future. That would change, you know, whatever plans they would have to make in, in terms of what types of players they'd potentially like to sign as money gets freed up on their cap. You know, Paul Byron is in the same kind of situation as Carrie, and he's on an expiring deal, so that's $3.4 million off the cap next year. Um, Jonathan Drew is on an expiring deal, and Afghani Dadanov is on an expiring deal, both to make north of $5 million. Bucks. Um, you know, if all of a sudden your $10.5 million goaltender has a, a miracle happen and he's activated, um, that's a little less money to spend on some players who can help fill out your roster next year and take that step forward and being a bit more competitive, although maybe you get a bit more competitive. But if, if by another stroke of miracle, Carey Price can miss two years in a row and come back and play at the same level that we've always seen from him. So, look, I, I don't think anybody's holding their breath on that stuff. It's uh, a lot less complicated if he remains on long-term IR, as much as it's painful uh, to say that, because, uh, you know, I, as much as anybody, would love to see Carey be able to author that comeback story. I'm a big, I'm always cheering for the best stories, and that would be a pretty tremendous one. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it, it is complicated in one regard in terms of managing long term IR. Um, you got to be kind of spending to the cap in order to make that. Right. That's that's kind of what I meant. Yeah, it, it, you got to be spending to the cap in order to make it worthwhile to to be able to exceed it um, by that 10.5 million dollar value. Um, and I, I would anticipate the Canadians have some plans in free agency coming up and, and trades that will help fill out their roster for the guys that I just mentioned will be will be gone and some other guys who will come off the cap uh, a year from now. But we'll see. Yeah, it's 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 it is tricky to navigate, but not handcuffing by by any degree. I don't think. Uh, Eric, two more quick ones for you here. We're speaking to Eric Engels from Sportsnet in Montreal ahead of the Canucks-Habs game tonight. Uh, one, with regards to setting up this evening's game, uh, you mentioned Jake Allen played last night. He was terrific, 41 saves in the shootout, went over Detroit. Is it safe to say that it'll be Sam Montembeau in the second of a back-to-back, or maybe they ride the hot hand with Allen? Yeah, no, they, they, they did that a little bit too much, and especially because of the workload that Allen had last night with 43 okay. saves. I don't think you need to stretch it in November, and they did it a little too much with him last year. And Look what happened. He had a couple of groin injuries down the stretch, and then like that's the last thing you need for a guy who's supposed to be a stabilizer at the position. And um, Montembeau, like I said, like this guy has been phenomenal this year. I, I, I can't even... He looks unrecognizable from the player we saw in a good way from, from the player we saw last year who had some his moments and had some flashes. But, you know, I think a lot of people would have looked at Sam Montebo and said, if Jake Allen gets hurt this year, this guy secures Connor Bedard for them, which is not a nice thing to say about a goaltender. But, you know, it's just the reality of right. what his play kind of revealed last year. And he's been really good so far this year. Uh, and secondly, the Habs are going to be without Josh Anderson tonight because he's suspended. Are they also going to be without Uri Slavkovsky with the suspension? I, I don't think so, okay. but I could be wrong. You know, like it, it's, these things are hard to evaluate. And I, I do find everybody gives the league such a hard time on, on the suspensions. And yet, you know, they put out a video explanation with everything that they choose to suspend. And usually that explanation makes a lot of sense. Um, I don't know how they saw this particular hit. I can tell you how I saw it, and it's a little different than what I tweeted after seeing it kind of live and in real time. Um, I think Luff was kind of searching for the puck in his feet. It looks like he's about to turn into into uh, Slavkovsky as Slavkovsky um, shoves him, 
and he ends up turning the other way and, and has his back to Slavkovsky as he puts his kind of uh, forearm into his lower back and it's a few feet away from the boards and so he ends up going head first in and yeah, it's, it's not a good look. Um, I think it's worthy of the penalty that it received. Um, I know he left the game injured, which, you know, always opens the door for this to potentially turn into a suspension or a hearing that leads to one. Um, so far, I haven't heard anything from the IHL on that front. It, would supr- it wouldn't surprise me if he got nothing else, if the penalty was just stood for what it was. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it also wouldn't surprise me if he ends up on a phone call and gets a game. So I didn't see it as the same as the Anderson hit. I thought the Anderson hit was a lot more dangerous. And as the league explained in their video, he changed his trajectory to make the hit uh, and, and make it a dangerous hit. So I, I don't see it the same way. And I don't think Slavkovsky is going to get suspended, but we'll probably hang up the phone and five minutes later, we'll hear that he's got a hearing <laughs> or something. So who knows? Yeah. Well, I, I mentioned it because uh, Lalonde said after the game that Luff suffered a pretty significant injury on the plane. He was going to be out for about six to eight weeks. So I do wonder if that'll play into it. But like you said, we're going to have to wait and see, and we're going to have to uh, wait whether that phone call happens or not. Hey, Eric, thanks a lot for doing this day, man. We really appreciate it. Uh, enjoy the game tonight. Should be a good one. And we'll do this again later on in the season. My pleasure, guys. Take care. You too. Thanks. That's Eric Engels from Sportsnet in Montreal here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Of course, the Canucks are in Montreal to take on the Habs tonight. 4.30 puck drop. I assume the goaltending matchup will be will be Thatcher Demko against Samuel Montembeau. And then we'll find out the rest of the lineups uh, at oh, some point. Starting tonight. Demko, eh? Throwing in the towel. Yeah, I know. There are. I'm not lying. There are some texts in here that, and these are probably not even joking. That say they should go to Spencer Martin again tonight. Which Heck is yeah, hilarious. do it. Do it. And there's one from Andy. He'll never lose. Uh, so I'm just looking at the uh, NHL's leading scorers, and just in terms of goals. So Connor McDavid, we all, we all know he's a good player, right? Wow, 14 goals in 14 games. This guy's gonna score. He's on an 82 game pace. So let's see who's right below him. Bo, Bo, Bo Horvat? Bo Horvat? That's He's right, the, friend. The second leading goal scorer in the NHL with 12 goals. Who's third? Just out of curiosity. In 13 games, uh, Gabe Velarde, believe oh, it or not. Oh, right. He got and, his 10th last night for yeah. L.A. Yeah. Well, he's tied with Eric Carlson. Of the San, o- so it's a, it's an interesting. It's everyone you expected game. at the top of the goal yeah. scoring list: Gabe Velarde, Bo Horvat, Victor Olafson. Yeah, all the guys, the household names that you would expect. Um, so, what should the Canucks do? With Bo Horvat, uh, Jim Rutherford, um, one of the comments he made in his appearance on Sportsnet 650 that didn't get a ton of attention because we're all focusing on some other comments that he made. This is what he had to say when asked for a Bo Horvat contract negotiation update. There hasn't been any movement. Our priority is to keep Bo. Uh, We recognize what he can do for us. Um, he, he's off to, I, I, am very proud of him. I give him a lot of credit. You know, he could, he could, uh, lose his focus here and be thinking about what's going to happen with his contract and whatnot, but he come in ready to play and he, he's, he's, he's played terrific for us. So, you know, I hope that keeps going. I hope we can sign him. If we can't sign him, the better we play, the better return we're going to get for him. So, it works out for everybody, but ideally we can figure out a way to keep Bo in Vancouver. Now, we all know that Horvat is a good player, and he's really turned into a terrific goal scorer. He is the trigger man on the power play. Mm-hmm. Uh, he is a great finisher. Uh, he's a good player. 
But here's the question I have when it comes to the Vancouver Canucks. Can you keep paying players market value for UFA years? They've already done it with JT Miller. Mm -hmm. All the years that he signed for are UFA years. So that's the highest possible value you can get. Is it efficient? Are the Canucks, if they if they re-sign Bo Horvat, are they going to be able to find enough value? This team has already, if you want to put it negatively or cynically, wasted the ELC years of PD and Hughes. Mm-hmm. Right? Those guys aren't cheap anymore. Yeah. Quinn Hughes has a contract that I think we can all be like, yeah, that's a that's an okay contract, but he's still got a high cap hit. PD's contract, even on a bridge, is a is a pretty high contract, and it's going to be even higher because they got to buy more UFA years. When they got to buy more FU, UFA years for Pedersen, so my question with all of this, and it's not just about Horvat here, it's a big picture thing, but Horvat is obviously a a big question going forward. Where is the value going to be found? Because Every team that's successful well, you want me to has your, value contracts. For right example, away. Nathan McKinnon, uh, his contract offered tremendous value. Going forward, it won't so much, and that will be a challenge for the Colorado Avalanche. The answer to the question, where's the value going to be, is going to be, unfortunately, when they trade Bo Horvat. I don't know how else to explain it to you, but you can't you, – you, just in terms of – the legalities and rules of the collective bargaining agreement and the salary cap ceiling mm-hmm. there. You can't pay this many guys buying UFA years. There's not a lot of teams that have that kind of payroll structure. Even if you paid Horvat, then it's like, okay, well now what do you have to deal with? Well, you got to deal with Pedersen. Yeah. What about Kuzmenko? And don't forget all of Kuzmenko's years are going to be UFA years as well. So it becomes Who's the best bargain on the Canucks right now. It's we went over this yesterday. It's either Pod Colson or Hoaglander. I well, think. Kuzmenko, Just, I think right now is the best. Kuzmenko, bargain. yeah, sure, right, but the, but that deal, but that's not the value happen. ain't lasting beyond this year. Exactly. Uh, I think Ethan Bear might end up being a pretty good value player for them at the amount of money that he's making. But you're really talking about secondary and tertiary guys. None of your mm-hmm. big hitters are value outside of right now. Demko's on a good contract, and Hughes is on a good contract. Right and uh, Demko, when he's playing well, is the best bargain. Yep, and Hughes' contract's going to age tremendously if he continues to be a top-flight defenseman. And the cap goes up, but you—it's going to be very difficult for them to continue to pay for prime years because they've done it with so many guys. I think Jim Rutherford did acknowledge that next season, and if you look at just go to their cap friendly page, it does seem as though a lot of different things can shake out and move out in terms of you know freeing up money. But if you look at Horvat, all signs point to he's going to garner you more value in a trade than he is re-signing him and buying up all his prime UFA years. And that sucks because he's on pace for 76 goals. (laughs) He'll probably get there. He is on pace for 101 points. Now, obviously, a lot of this is not sustainable. Speaking of those kind of metrics, we're going to have Dmitry Filipovich in studio from the Hockey PDO cast coming up next. We can ask him more about this. But the reality of it is, if you look at this situation, anyone that's not doing it with their heart and with their love of Horvat and how amazingly that he's played this year, if you look at it logistically, the only thing that really makes sense is you're going to probably have to flip him because you just can't pay him what he's worth. And if you're Horvat, why would you even contemplate taking any sort of hometown discount at this point? Other than the fact that you maybe love Vancouver, and that's great. 
but he's got an opportunity to make some real bank. Even with a hometown discount right now, he's going to be expensive to re-sign. Yeah, for sure. What's a hometown discount right now? I don't even Him know. Him coming in at $7 million a year? Ninety-one fifty. <laughs> Clever illusion there, Andy. Tell the people what you're talking about. How he said he would pay that guy back ninety-one fifty because he screwed up the shootout goal. So the guy and that de- cost him his bet. Yeah, and the guy was like in the in his Instagram, "Hey, you owe me ninety-one fifty. And Horvat actually replied, "DM me." But it never got resolved. It just ended after that. Yeah. Maybe the guy got embarrassed for calling out a professional <laughs> athlete to pay his gambling debts for so 90, not even, not ninety-one fifty, no less. Uh, so <laughs> we're going to shift into the hockey PDO cast. You hear it here on Sportsnet 650 and across the Sportsnet radio networks. Dmitry Filipovich, host of that show, is in studio next. That's coming up on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Time now for Sportsnet 650 traffic from the City News 1130 Air Patrol. Where Garland has to battle on the end boards with Hammond. It comes away with it. Senator Frefford Horvat, he scores! Bo Horvat with his second of the night, and the Canucks strike early in the third period to take a 3-2 lead. 7.33 on a Wednesday. Happy Wednesday, everybody. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet 650. Halford and Bruff of the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Accurate Dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Accurate Dealer today. We are also brought to you by North Star Metal Recycling. Vancouver's premier metal recycler pays the highest prices on scrap metal. North Star Metal Recycling, they recycle, you get paid. Visit them at 1170 Powell Street in Vancouver. Finally, I need to tell you about the pre-Black Friday sale on now at Rogers. Get an iPhone 13 for $5 per month with eligible, I almost did it again, eligible trade. You actually just did. No, I I fought through it. Not that well, Well, though. Uh, On financing and upfront edge, which is a form of financing. Uh, details on this sale at rogers.com. Uh, if you're streaming us live on the Sportsnet Now app, you can see, one, it is incredibly dark in the studio. Two, there's three of us in studio now. It's Halford, it is Bruff, and it is the host of the Hockey PDO cast, Dmitry Filipovich in studio. Hi, bud. Fellas, what's going on? How you doing? I'm good. I got a quick story to tell you before yes. we jump into tell me a story. Out and everything. So tell me a story. I started up with Sportsnet um, at the start of the season about a month ago now. Okay. I think it was October 11th with my first okay. show. And so my partner is a teacher, mm-hmm. and she's in the staff room one day around that time, and she's telling her coworkers about my job and what I'm doing. And one of her fellow teachers says, "Oh, I love, I love a sh- like a, a show on sports, and I listen to it every single day." And so I'm like, "Which one is it?" Like I'm really curious to ask her about it. She's like, oh, "I don't really remember the name." And then she's like thinking about it for a while, and she goes, "I think he said the guy's name is Hamish or something." And then I'm <laughs> like, "I'm like Hamish." And I'm like, and I'm thinking for a while, I'm like, "You mean Halford, Halford and Brock?" And she's like, "Yeah, that's the one. That's the one." So. You guys have a huge fan out there. I wanted to give Quinn a shout out. Sweet. Big fan of Hamish and Bruff. So. Yeah, Hamish say. and Bruff. That's yeah. a, you know what? That's better. We're going to yeah. change better. the title card behind you to Hamish <laughs> and Bruff. We're just going to call you <laughs> Hamish from now on. Can we do that on. quickly now? Yeah. It's actually a better name. Yeah. I like the name Hamish. Okay. Don't correct the man, Hamish. Uh, <laughs> you guys, uh, Bo Horvat. We were talking about this prior to break. Yeah, uh, we, were, we were talking about Bo Horvat, and I guess uh, the question that I would have, can the Canucks afford to re-sign Bo Horvat? I mean, you, there's a, where there's a will, there's a way, right? You can always figure it out. I the, the thing I keep coming back to is I think there was always this assumption that part of that included him taking like a hometown discount of sorts as the right. captain to stay here and spend his entire career here playing for the Canucks. And given the season that he's having and the state of the team, 
Like if I was advising him, I certainly <laughs> would be like, mm-hmm. cash in. This is your one chance. He's going to be 28 years old or whatever yeah. um, when he's up for his new deal this, this summer. So this is going to be his one opportunity, especially if he's going to score. Like I don't think we're expecting him to score 70 plus goals this season as he's oh, on God, pace for. Well, yeah, yeah. certainly. Yeah, yeah, glass, glass half empty. But um, he's well on his way to a career year at a perfectly timed situation for him. So if he's not going to take a hometown discount and a cut rate, then I'm, I'm not sure how you fit that in. So I guess maybe a better way of asking the question is um, the Canucks can afford Bo Horvat. Yes. But can they afford to keep paying players for their UFA years? Because they've done it with JT Miller. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've got some guys under contract, you know, like OEL's contract is not going away. Um, Mike and I were just basically like, where are they going to find value? Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a, that's a, that's a great question. I mean, yeah. that's something that they should be seriously thinking long and hard about. How do you not have answers for this? Come on, fix the team for us. I mean, I, if if I were running the team, I would have I would have made big trades a long time ago, right? Yeah. Like, you, like you, your your prelude to this was, well, they've already paid J T. Miller. That mm-hmm. wouldn't have been a consideration. So right. That's I mean, yeah, it, it's it's tricky. You can't keep paying. All you these can't guys, keep paying premium players, dollars yeah. for years. Where, I mean, this doesn't apply to you know Elias Pettersson's next deal and Quinn Hughes and everything, but. For these older players who are entering the 30s, mm-hmm. you'd figure like they're less productive seasons yeah. that are coming mm-hmm. and paying a premium for those. That's just bad business. Like that's not how good teams operate in the NHL. Do you think if the Canucks tried to trade JT Miller, maybe at the deadline or in the offseason before his no move clause kicks in, yeah. do you think they'd find a taker? Oh, certainly. Yeah. Do you, yeah. Do you do you think um did we ever get any clarity on what happened with the Islanders at the at the draft? Um, no. Like anything definitive? I guess nothing ever came out, right? I mean, it certainly sounded as though there was a deal in principle that got scuttled. Now, the issue is we fell back on that 2013 deal when they acquired uh, Schneider for the, the pick that eventually became Bo Horvat. And the great the, the story, anecdotally, is that you know Gillis was given a warning from Lou Lamorello that if this gets out, yeah. the deal's off, right? And that's kind of Lou operating in the cloak of secrecy. So a lot of people sort of ported that story onto this, and I think maybe tried to talk it into existence. I don't know if it's that clear cut, but um, as you were saying, like a lot of people suggested or inferred that that was the deal in principle that it was going to be a yeah. Miller type trade, in part because the Islanders had such an underwhelming offseason, they didn't really do anything. Although they're playing very well right now. A lot of that has to do with the goaltending. But uh, I think there was an idea that they were going to make another big splash. It was going to involve Vancouver, but I'm not sure exactly if that's how it played out. Yeah, I would have thought that, um, you know, I guess this is a moot point at this point. But when the Devils swung and missed on Johnny Goudreau in free agency, right. that would have felt like such a logical, mm-hmm. like a good GM just circles back to them immediately yeah. as soon as he's announced that he's signing with the Devil, with uh, the Blue Jackets. Because there was a gap there until they agreed to, with Andre Pallad. They basically pivoted to him, right? Right. And I feel like... There was probably a bit of desperation there where they, they could have gotten a good deal from them. But like people around the league love JT Miller. Mm-hmm. I, I think there, there, there's, there would have certainly been a market for him. Yeah. I mean, he's, we all, I, and I think maybe we in Vancouver, we're going to um, just look at the players so much more closely and we'll mm-hmm. kind of be like, uh, you know, like a defensively. He well, you actually great. watch him play every night. Well, that's a thing, yeah. right? <laughs> that's an issue. Yeah, yeah. But if you, I mean, if you look at his point totals, that, yeah. that's a thing. Like, he, yeah. he's a point a game guy. Yeah. He's on pace for eighty two. Right. I like I like the projections right now. I'm big into the projections. Mm-hmm. Like, but, but, Bo Horvat's seventy six goal season. I'm big into that. But would anyone in Vancouver be like, yeah, he's been great this year? No, I don't think so. At, at first blush, I think the interesting thing though, it's twofold. One, a lot of teams around the league like him, and then two, you'd have a really fundamentally um, interesting 
debate in Vancouver. It's like, can you sign a guy and have the sort of emotional connection where he's like, was very emotional. We got the, the contract. And then within months of signing, it'd be like, also you're traded. Now we're going to send you somewhere else. I don't know what the ramifications of that would be, but I, I kind of agree with you. I think there would be a market for him. I also agree with Jason though, is that once that extension kicks yeah. in his value through no fault of his own, it just plummets. Certainly. Yeah. I mean, the term teams are staying away from that. And, and at the, the dollar figure he was at both last year and this year, if they had retained half, I mean, that's such a premium asset for like, what did we saw? We saw the lightning give up two firsts yeah, for Brandon Hagel. Mm-hmm. And the entire logic behind that wasn't that Brandon Hagel's an amazing player, although he's been very productive for them this season. It's that he costs nothing for multiple years right. and they're so cash strapped in terms of being up against the cap mm-hmm. that they can just slide him in and add a good player for nothing. And that's what Miller could have been for a contender. How can the Canucks find more value? <laughs> oh man how, how much time do we have I, I think we're only on for like 20 minutes or so here right? yeah, yeah start just start i mean where would you start well I, here's the thing clearly drafting getting young players on the ulc's all that yeah i think there's still so many undervalued players and and i know like when you as soon as you mention analytics mm-hmm People are like, oh no, like, well, we, we, we don't, we don't want to, we don't want to deal with that. Don't be scared of those people that are afraid of those ideas. Just no, but, you know. but but look at what we saw this this offseason. For example, John Marino mm-hmm. went for Ty Smith and a third round pick, mm-hmm. and he is signed basically through his twenties at four point four million, and he's a legitimate number one right right shot defenseman. Yeah, Oliver Bjorkstrand, a legitimate play driving top line winger, went for a third and a fourth. Yeah, nothing to really Seattle. Really. Because Columbus signed Goodrow and Goodbranson, speaking of how you can't live through unrestricted free agency. Right. Time and time again, as long as you have cap flexibility, you can take advantage of other people's mistakes because there's 32 teams and someone will always be making a mistake. And if you have the flexibility, you can basically just, you can pick and choose good players from every single team every single year. As long as you have cap flexibility. Yeah, which is why it's so important. And, and, mm-hmm. and this is a thing that I'm sure you guys talk about all the time. Whenever a player gets signed, even if it doesn't matter right now, like, oh, we have the space, oh, the right. cap's going up, it's, it's, there's an opportunity cost involved, right? And there's, it's an asset. Well, we had the conversation with Don Waddell, what was that, like two weeks ago? It was when Carolina came through town. Yeah. And we talked about, they, they basically picked up Brent Burns and Max Pacioretty, not on a free, it wasn't like a European transfer or anything, but um, they didn't cost an awful lot. And yeah. he said, yeah, like w- the way that we, op- he didn't get too far into the weeds on it, but the way that they operate is that they don't want to be, uh, maxed out to the cap all the time because these situations keep arising in the NHL. And it's through a variety of circumstances, right? Like you mentioned that like someone's always going to make a mistake. I always point to there's always a team that craters when they're not expected to, and then they panic, right? Yeah. And I mean, for example, I know we were talking about St. Louis earlier. I don't think a big trade is in the future for St. Louis, but like a coach firing might be, and that opens up something. And that's kind of how the league operates under a hard, flat cap, is you make a mistake, it costs you, or you flounder and it costs you, and you want to fix it, but you only have a certain amount of space in which to fix it. So sometimes opportunities arise where you don't think they're going to. Is there a realistic way for the Canucks to get cap flexibility this offseason? Because they tried to do it this past offseason, and they were like, we couldn't do it. Here's McKayev. Well, I mean, I, I'm just going to jump in. The yeah. answer to the question that you asked him earlier, prior to going to break, can you find value here? The answer was, yeah, you trade Bo Horvat. Yeah. 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 Probably. Yeah. I mean, that's. I mean, especially if he's going to keep scoring this many goals. Right. But the alternative is you sign him, in which case you Yeah, but then you've got to find value. Like, trading a guy won't find you value. It'll maybe give you an opportunity to go find the value, but. Trading him also frees up the cap space you would have allotted to him. No, I realize that. It's a two parter, really. And that's where I wonder if. 
it's very difficult because they painted themselves into a bit of a corner because yeah. he is their captain. Right. He has spent his entire career. And just based on the Dunbar Lumber texting basket, there are a lot of people that really want him to stay. And well, then, like, then your team's worse, too. But it seems yeah. like he legitimately also wants to be here. Well, that's a yeah, key too, part of it. For some reason. Yeah. Yeah. Cooper's <laughs> <laughs> great. I've been playing for the Canucks, though. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, so the Hockey PDO cast, you guys have done some deep dives. Yeah. We, we tend to skew towards the negative here at the Halford and Bruff Show. That's what and we look, do as well. And look at all the losing yeah. teams. But uh, you're going to do the Flames today. We'll get to them in a second. Okay. Uh, you did Seattle recently, mm-hmm. and we brought them up. 5 1 win over Nashville last night. So another big win for the Kraken. These, we have a very simple question Are the Kraken actually good now? I think they're. I wouldn't. I don't know if I'd go that far. Okay, let's let's pump the brakes a little bit. Okay. But certainly, like much more competitive and capable of putting up five goal performances like that, right? Mm-hmm. And that's a team that last summer they had space and they basically went out. They signed Andre Burakovsky. They brought in Oliver Burkson via trade. Right. They promoted Matty Beniers, who they'd signed previously, and now he's up full time. And so they added three top six wing, top six forwards. It feels good. And um and yeah, they're like I think their offense is definitely legit. I'm still. A lot of Martin Jones involved from for my taste, but <laughs> right. um, like I, I think they're gonna. Last year they were twenty seventh or twenty eighth in goals. That's gonna be at least middle of the pack, and so yeah, I think they're pretty solid. And then you guys also did one on Vegas as well. So Vegas off the tour, tremendous start. They get a win again last night. Uh, it, I think they got the, the longest win streak in the NHL mm-hmm. right now. They got the shootout, or so the overtime win uh, against Toronto. And I think the goaltending there, a lot of people thought that was going to be their undoing. It certainly hasn't seemed to be. So this is kind of the Vegas team that everyone envisioned when they were healthy and cap compliant and everything. Right. Uh, and also, as you put it, Mark Stone doing Mark Stone things. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Bruce Cassidy came in. He brought in that Bruins sort of defensive system that they've had for years where they're suddenly one of the most structured and, and well-rounded defensive teams in the league. And as long as Eichel and Stone are healthy, that's probably one of the best three or four lines in, in the league. So. Well, since you mentioned structure, that is a word that has been tossed around here in <laughs> Vancouver a little bit. When you watch the Canucks, yeah. and I know you post a lot of video mm. on Twitter, I know you watch a lot of games. <laughs> Too um, much, someone say. Yeah. Uh, well, no. I mean, if you're passionate about it, you're passionate right. about it. Do what you want. Uh, watching the Canucks play and knowing the team, um, how much is a structure issue? How much is a personnel issue? Um. I would say a 99% personnel issue. Yeah. Honestly. I I think there's certain structural things you could change, but with the personnel they have in place right now, especially on the blue line, mm-hmm. you, you can't string together passes out of your own zone. So all of a sudden, it's messing everything up. Your forwards have to come back lower, and that ruins your chances for creating a 5-on-5 offensively. Yeah. So I think we often think about how having poor defense defensive play or bad defensemen affects only your in your own zone. But in this case, I think it's affecting all three zones for the Canucks. And so I don't really yeah. know how you work around that other than just having more talented blue liners. Mm-hmm. When I watch the PK, I'm kind of like, like this is basic stuff yeah. that the Canucks aren't doing. They're not getting their sticks in lanes. They're either too aggressive or too passive, depending on the situation. And I'm kind of like, I don't think a PK coach is going to come in here and 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 tell these guys how to penalty kill. Like there's the reason, you know, you, you listen to Yannick Hansen on the station and he's talking about penalty killing. It's, it's like, it's, it's not easy. Like you, you need to have those instincts about where you are on the ice and when to pressure and when to lay back a little bit. And the Canucks really just don't have those guys. Yeah. Yeah. It's, there's a great butting of heads going on here though, because you talk about uh, Rutherford last year specifically said, we don't like the way that we break the puck out of our own zone, right? Mm-hmm. And it was a lot of plinko and punt and hunt mm-hmm. and all that stuff. But at the same time, he's got to have the 
vision to see that the guys that he's got that currently comprise the blue line can't move the puck the way that he wants to. So I'm not really sure exactly what's going on there. It's like asking these demands of guys that aren't going to be able to meet them and then putting it at the feet of the head coach. Like we were saying, at some point, Boudreaux's got to say, like, have you seen the guys that I have on my blue line? It's not exactly the most elite puck-moving group on the planet. Maybe we should go back to flipping the puck well, out more often. Well, here's a question for Dimitri. If you were the general manager of the Vancouver Canucks and – uh, the budget wasn't an issue. What would you do with OEL? Oh man! <laughs> oh, I, so I'm I, giving you like the hardest questions I, no, today. I, I, I realize I, I, that. I, like there's no easy answers in a lot of those, no. There is. What would you do with talk about. Larson? Uh, so I'm I'm not looking at his cap sheet right now. I believe he's owed like 10.5 or 11 million in base salary next season. Sure is. Yeah. Ten and a half. So or something like that. that that that's an issue, right? Because if it was if you're telling me I'm the GM and but budgetary concerns aside, right. If most of it is signing bonus, you just pay that and then just trade them to back to Arizona or right. anywhere, right? Yeah. Anyone that doesn't care that needs to get up to the cap. So that's an issue. Like any team, any trade you devise, like I, every time I talk to Drance, he's pitching me on these <laughs> out of left field Panthers trades involving Bobrovsky and OEL. And I'm yeah. like, well, I, I, why, like, why would the Panthers mm-hmm. willingly pay Oliver Ekman Larson $10.5 million next season? Right. That just, it's like, mm-hmm. he's arguably. Not, he's not very good as he drafts. I don't. I mean, oh, that's a, that's, a, that's a whole no, no, yeah. no, no. His his trade ideas never, are never cap compliant. Yeah. It never really makes sense for either team. Um, no, here's the thing. OEL at this point of his career could probably be salvaged on a better team where he had to do significantly less. Yeah. But because of the current situation, he's being asked to do something where physically he's just incapable of doing it anymore. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's a motivation or effort or anything sort of thing. I think he like physically, you saw in the first goal yesterday, he just like physically can't keep up mm-hmm. with some of these players sometimes. And that's such a shame because I thought of the start of last season. I thought he started it pretty good last year. Yeah, yeah, I was like, wow, yeah. he turned back the clock. Maybe it was a motivation thing in Arizona. And then as the year went along, he kind of started to physically degrade again. Mm-hmm. And he started this season looking even worse. And so that's highly concerning for me in terms of any sort of bounce back potential. Okay, one thing we do like to do here on the Halford and Bruff show is uh, look at other people's misery, other teams' misery, and say, see, it could be worse. Yeah. Calgary right now, uh, losers of six straight. Right. Something's off, and I'm not exactly sure what it is. The Tanev injury hurts for sure. Now Huberto's on the shelf as well. Daryl Sutter seems thoroughly unimpressed with a lot of different guys. Um, you're going to do the deep dive today on the Hockey PDO cast with Kent Wilson. Yes, is that correct? That's right. yep. um, what do we know, or what do you know about Calgary and why this has kind of gone off the rails so early? Yeah, it's been a strange start for them. At one point last I checked, Brett Ritchie and Mark and Michael Stone, not even the Mark Stone, not even the Kid Stone, his brother, we're, yeah. we're both like amongst the team leaders in five on five scoring this season. And really? they, they haven't they haven't gotten anything out of Jonathan Huberto, and that's kind of trickled down to Tyler Toffoli and right. Elias Lindholm as well. Last year, that line of Kachuk, Goudreau, and Lindholm was the best yeah. five on five line dominant. in the league, yeah. and they haven't been able to replicate that at all. I'm not sure how much of it is just sort of like establishing a rhythm and getting to know each other. They sort of committed to this team. Yeah. Chemistry is tough they, to predict. Well, they committed fully yeah. without seeing them that's play a yeah. single point. game. Together. That's a good point. I, that, that was the one thing I kept coming back to in the summer. I'm like, it looks great on paper, yeah, and everyone assumes it's going to work, but they made big-time commitments to guys without actually seeing if it'll work on the ice. And I'm like, you also have the co- – now, the coach is entirely replaceable. You can get rid of him at a moment's notice, but it's just a particular coach. Yeah. And if he doesn't like a guy – that guy's going to have a lousy time. They well, better hope this works because if it doesn't, yeah. they're screwed. I think I think they'll turn it around this year. I think I they'll think be so fine. Um, my concern is like the runway they've left themselves because they're a team 
Mm-hmm. It's built almost exclusively through unrestricted free agency. Like, look how much. Have spending... you seen their how many guys they've drafted or or graduated from their draft? It's it's like it's low. Nobody. Right? Yeah. It's literally nobody since I think 2017 or 2018. Right. They don't have any NHL games out of their last five or six years of That's drafts. That's wild. Yeah, and I know they have some prospects that people are generally pretty high on, but we haven't seen those guys actually play at the NHL. So right. They don't know what they're actually capable of. So what they 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 went out and they got Markstrom. Tanev, mm-hmm. Coleman, Kadri, and then you could almost include Uyghur and, and Huberto in that because they signed them to mega UFA style yeah. deals. Well, they gave up they a first for, for Toffoli. Yeah, they gave up a first for Toffoli. Like, and these are all guys who are either late twenties, early thirties, good players. I think they have a good team, mm-hmm. but yeah, their their runway, like their timeline, is this season. <laughs> yeah, and, and part of it was very reflexive from. Bradstreet yes. Living, because there was that whole notion that no one wanted to play in Calgary right. and Kachuk spurned them and everything. So I get that there was an emotional component to it, but um, you you bring up a really good point. They've, they've got a, they've got a really short window to get this thing done now, and if it doesn't start to click with guys, especially Hubero, mm-hmm. uh, the pressure mounts even more because it's not like he's got the full eight years to figure it out. Yeah. Right? They know that contract's going to end badly. It's sort of like you need to figure this out now, and Sutter needs to figure this whole thing out, and also. The blue line's been really bizarre. He's yep. playing the wheels off like three or four guys and openly calling out everyone else that can't sort of pick up the slack, which I think is interesting. Yeah. Yeah, it's very Daryl Sutter, Sutter-ish. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, been, it's been such smooth sailing for him for the most part yeah. since coming to Calgary. So, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, so the Montreal Canadiens uh, tonight. Yeah. It's the opponent for the Canucks. What do you think about the job that uh, Kent Hughes has done turning over that roster and at least starting the build for the future? Yeah, I think he's done a great job. I mean, it seems like they have a clear plan and everyone's aligned on it. It's a long-term vision. I think anything they get this year in terms of entertainment value is gravy. Mm-hmm. And I think they have, they're have they doing it the right way where Marty St. Louis is just basically letting Caulfield and Suzuki just have fun and score goals out there and right. not even try to play defense. <laughs> Entertain that, the fans a little bit too, right? Yes, yeah. so like, you're going to lose games anyway. Your best young players may as well have fun and score goals and sell tickets. Where do they still need to improve? Well, everywhere. everywhere, everywhere, everywhere. Yeah. But that's fine. I mean, they have no, they have, they're not pretending that they're going to be mm-hmm. a playoff team this year, and and I, I respect that so much. One team that we really haven't paid too much attention to, and maybe we should, is the Winnipeg Jets, who are off to a pretty successful start in terms of wins and losses. Is the Jets' play sustainable? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I don't know if they're going to keep winning this rate of games, but they have so much talent. The question has always been for them. Like the system in place with Paul Maurice, whether they can mm-hmm. get the most out of them. They brought in Lowry. He didn't change anything at all. I don't think we've seen enough from Rick Bonus so far coaching that team to say one way or another. But given the personnel they have, like it's it's almost the opposite of the Canucks, where it's like it's entirely been a structural issue for them. They've had all the talent in place, so I, I'm I'm fine betting on them to keep it up because I like the players they have. Well, they're really interesting because Bonus has missed basically yeah. half the year with COVID. Like, right. This is the second they beat Dallas five one last night. I think it's the second time they played Dallas. He didn't even get a chance to go play as or coach against his former team because he was out. I don't really know what to make of them other than kind of what you just said. Like they got a ton of talent. Yeah. And you figured that they were always underachieving. Maybe they flipped the script there, but uh, that'll be interesting as Winnipeg continues to stay hot. Points in seven straight for them. Okay, we got to go to break. This was awesome, dude. We've got text into the Dunbar Lumber text message in basket saying we got to do this again sometime. So if you're up for it. I hope so, yeah. Uh, the show today is at what time? Uh, it's at 11 today because the early Canucks game. Generally, though, it's 2 to 3 p.m. Pacific time. So please Beautiful. tune in. Yeah. Okay, it's the Hockey PDO cast. He is Dmitry Filipovich. This has been fun. He's been in studio. We're going to go to break. When we come back, Dan Murphy, Sportsnet's very own, is going to join us from Montreal ahead of tonight's Canucks-Habs game. 
at 4.30 our time puck drop. Uh, we got to go to break. We'll be back in a bit. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet 650.